RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. With me as usual is Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? I can't complain. And Mike. Hey, Dusty. So today, we are we are revisiting the concept of a job interview. And today, we're going to do a player job interview. Now, traditionally, job interviews are one-on-one. But, but not always. But not always. But traditionally. But uh, certainly, you, didn't, you wouldn't have multiple candidates in the room. But uh, I was outvoted for today's format. There are times that people are interviewed in a group setting. It happens. I've, I've never done that. I've I mean, never either, but I've, re- I've read about it. I, like, I, what is it? Like a trial by combat thing? It's kind of like uh, basically they, they see who emerges as the leader and they pick the person who has the best leadership skills. I'm just going to say we decided to go at this stepbrother style. We're rocking yes. the tuxedos. We're going to go into the interview together and we're going to nail it. All right. Yes. So I'm interviewing the two of you together about your, your, your play preferences and style. Okay. So we're nodding. We're, yes. <laughs> we're off to a great start. Which is not audible. <laughs> All right, so listen, guys. We often talk about like the role of a GM, what a GM has to do, how a GM can run a good game. But at the table, during the game, not before the game, not after the game, during the game, at the table, what is the player's job? Great question. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have to say to, uh, to do my part to keep the story moving, whether that means just me being engaged or me kind of thinking ahead when it's not my turn of what's coming up of what I would potentially want to do. I, uh, I think that's a big aspect of my role. And then I also try and take some ownership of keeping other people kind of on online. So, so like sometimes when, when other players want to go like way off the beaten path and do all this crazy stuff, I don't want to say that I, I necessarily kill their player agency, but sometimes if it gets a little too ridiculous, I may be like, that's a great idea. Let's maybe mm-hmm. do this first. Yeah, I like that. Um, so I'm going to first let me preface this by saying that I think that Myers-Briggs is BS. Also, with that being said, as someone who routinely uh, is an INTJ when I take the test, one of the, the hallmarks of an INTJ is somebody who typically sits back and waits for um, you know, things to go off the rails, like you say, t- before they want to take command and take the lead. And I, I feel sort of the same way. That's sort of how I, I operate in general. Uh, but yes, Mike, as a, as a player, you often play captain. And I, I say probably in your absence, I probably pick that up. And sometimes I do the same, but, um, the, in my mind, the player, my, my role at the table is to cooperate with the GM. I mean, I could be adversarial to the GM and just try to take things off the rail, but I feel that it's a collaborative game. And I want to, except for that game at Mace, I want to uh, go in with the flow of what the GM has created and um, basically uh, just try to have a harmonious but fun time instead of you know just trying to be a jerk like you totally could because i mean if the goal of the gm is for people to come back and play my goal is to be able to come back and play and be invited to do it 
Yep. And I think a lot of that has to do with the understanding that, that we know that you as a GM have taken the time to, to cultivate this content, to, to create this story, to, to put these resources together. And we know that you have, you have a goal, you have a story you want to tell, you have a series of events in your mind that, that you want to get through to, to make this narrative. You're very flexible if we want to take it off the rails and then do some crazy stuff. But I think ultimately, I know that I want to help you tell your story by helping us play out the story. Jeez, Mike, I wish you were in my last interview. <laughs> I would have that job now. <laughs> I've got some feedback on that, but we'll circle back. I, I, I want to get all the questions out first. Okay. All right. So have you ever seen another player basically individually absolutely make a session? Like make a session for the GM, make a session for the other players, really take it up a notch. Have you ever seen that? And if so, um, what did you what did you learn from that? I mean, so for me, it depends on what you mean by make a session. Um, I, there are times when I think, and I'm going to name names that I think that Nathan has really, uh, just come through both from, uh, being fun to play with perspective, but also he did something smart and clever that, uh, helped, helped us get through, um, you know, either a roadblock or, or, or something like that. I can't think of a specific example. I wish I could, but I do know that sometimes, uh, again, Nathan has really made a game go from something that might be. I'm thinking back to some of the Pathfinder games, like in the middle uh, from our beginner box campaign. I think the first several games were really fun. The last several games, we really got into it. But for me personally, there was sort of that middle there when I wasn't as engaged as I should have been. Uh, but Nathan's jokes and, you know, I, I really, to me, accentuated and improved the experience for those games in particular. I think kind of along that lines, going way back, you know, if we're, we're trying to think of specific examples, uh, uh, I come back to Chris and the, the infamous Goblin Pants scenario yes. right, that we still talk about to this day. Uh, goblin Pants, Flaming Bedrolls, um, which I think actually were both Chris's ideas. I think the Bedroll is my idea. Was it your idea? If I remember right. Okay, so that's fair. But so the Goblin Pants definitely him. Was his. Yeah. So I, I would cite those as two examples that made the game. It's that that out of the box thinking of what's a way that that I could potentially do this and then do I make the role to be successful and I think a lot of that is having the luck to make the role to be successful well that's so is is it the player who made the game or is it the role of the dice that made the game at that point I think it's both right so I I think the player has to have the agency to be a little creative to try something to try something risky to try something that might work and then, yeah, you, you have to have the luck or the appropriate skill. Yeah, you, have to, you have to make the right choice. Yeah. And then the yeah. dice has to cooperate. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. How about the opposite? Have you ever watched another player completely just tank a game? And what did you learn from that? Oh, man. Yeah. Hmm. I can think of a, I think can think of a couple of examples. I'll pick on the one who I have no relationship with anymore. So we had a player who had a, a, a gen. That's that's cheating. You can't use that in an interview. <laughs> uh, I we had a character who had a gen who was trying to basically manipulate the game by, I guess, overreaching in what the gen couldn't couldn't do, and it. I don't know. It just it was awkward because one, I had a working relationship with that person at the time. 
and I wanted them to have a good time, but also I wanted to make it was more important to me that the uh, the game persisted and didn't um, end, or the fellowship didn't end because of one bad player. And of course, I think Jason trying to do the grappling so many times in that one game was also just <laughs> yeah. That was that was that was rough. I, I think to double down on your your first example, I think what was frustrating to me for that was you could you could see him sit there and do mental calculus of how can I negate what the GM has ruled? How can I negate? How can I work yes. around this? What can I find in this subtext of this rule that if I interpret it one possible way, I could make an argument for? You're exactly right. Yeah. Where we have a cooperative uh, cooperative relationship with you, the GM, it was very adversarial. But yeah. basically, that person was just trying to get over on you, and I just didn't appreciate it. Yeah, it, it was he was he's he wasn't being directly confrontational, but rules wise, he was absolutely being uh, combative. I'm going to add a little question here. So after the first question or during the first question about what is the job of a player, Mike, you talked about going along with the story the GM wants to tell. Uh, and then earlier you talked about Chris really making a game by thinking outside the box. Yeah. And then talking about the, the player that tanked the game. You talked about someone who who went so far outside the box that they were trying to negate what. So there's some implied balance there. Yes. Between what is the player allowed to do? What is the GM allowed to do? In your mind, what are those boundaries? How far can a player take it in your mind? I, I think it comes to having to read the tone of the table, right? If if you see that your turn is taking up a majority of the playtime. If everyone else's turn is going on in like a couple of minutes and the, the GM is having to spend a lot of time with you and whatever you want to do and these crazy things that you want to do and no one else is really engaging in that, no one is is helping you make that case to the GM, I think that's a social cue that you have to kind of pick up. Um, and I think this is sometimes the tricky part of D&D is that Sometimes to be successful at RPGs, you have to be good at picking up those social cues. Sometimes the people who play RPGs aren't so great at picking up social cues. And sometimes people who GM are not great at the social cues as well. I go back to the game that we played at Mace, the Pulp Cthulhu game, where the GM absolutely tried to railroad us through the entire game because they had this grand vision of what their adventure was going to look like. Actually, I disagree. So I, you're not, in an interview, I shouldn't be disagreeing, but in that case, I disagree. I don't think he did try to railroad us. I think the mistake he made was a different mistake. Okay. He had chosen one right path yeah. through this very complex adventure. Yeah. And then he sat back, and he didn't railroad us, but he let us just spin and spin and Okay, spin. so railroad's not the right term. In fact, if he would have railroaded a little bit, it would have improved his game. So railroad, not the right term, but yeah. he had his specific vision for the way he wanted things to go. Right. Yes. He had one right solution. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So, Brian, how about your take on the same question? What What, what are the boundaries for a player? What are the boundaries for a GM? I mean, so I think the boundaries for, I, I mean, again, it, a lot of it is just comes down to social cues, like Mike said. Um, I mean, I think it should be collaborative, but I think that it should be more collaborative on the part of the players than necessarily the part of the GM. That's just sort of my philosophy. So the GM is the person who's really 
crafting the adventure and the players are going along, um, I think the GM probably has more agency to freestyle. Um, I mean, going back to some of the conversations we've had before, it's like, oh, this was just the first hag that showed up instead of, you know, I mean, there are rules in place. I mean, and the GM and the player are both bound by the rules, but the GM has, I think, more freedom to do what the GM can do with the rules, where I just can't come up and say, oh, well, no, I actually have uh, a second set of, you know, 20 hit points after my player dies, where the GM could say, you know, oh, yeah, there's another hag that you were fighting because, you know, the, the GM knows that the first hag was a little too easy. So I think of it, and I'm not for my opinion, even though it's an interview episode, I think it's it's nuanced, right? And I think what you guys are getting to, and I want to make sure we're totally clear on this, is if the GM has put some prep in, like, you know, if the GM throws a seed at you, like, hey, you hear about this, you hear about this problem under in the cellars underneath this, this uh, temple, then the right thing to do is to say, oh, well, we'd like to hear more about that. Or let's, you know, the right thing to do is to take that thread and start pulling on it. Yeah. Yeah. However you want to pull on it. Maybe you want to ask around town. Maybe you want to go straight there. The GM doesn't get to dictate how you pull on that thread. Right. But you don't get to look at the GM and say, no, we're going to, we're going to keep drinking at the, at the, at the saloon. Right. We're going to keep drinking at the bar. We're not going to, we're not going to engage with this plot hook. Try again. You know, it's funny you should say that because uh, I, I sometimes read online about other other people's games and, and what they play and how their GM operates. And I keep seeing these instances of people who were just like, oh, yeah, we do whatever at the table. The GM's totally awesome with it. And he just goes along with whatever we come up. And when you kind of get into that conversation, literally the GM is just there to, to roll, some, roll a set of dice. The GM's put no prep into it. The GM's put no thought into it. He's he's not really even adjudicating what's happening at the table other than just check, pass, fail. And, and, and I think there's a lot of people who play RPGs that way. And if you do play that way, I think that's great. That's okay. But I think it's hard to include other people into that style of game. So, I so I haven't I'm not familiar with that. Can you tell me more? Like, where are you hearing about this? Or, or, so this what are is, what are examples? This is on Reddit, and mm-hmm. this is just people talking in random about you know uh, RPG D and D. So someone will say something in a thread, and then you know all the D and D folks will come on and be like, "Oh yeah, this happened in my game, and this happened in my game," and and you get these little these little nuggets just in random threads where people are talking about D and D, and and it it seems to be a theme in these nuggets where where basically the DM does no prep. So these are guys who are going to play like almost on a, a, a weekly basis or maybe even a couple so, of times a week. It sounds like wish fulfillment, basically. It's kind of like, oh, I want to do this. GM's like, hey, that's a great idea, whether it make, whether there's a, there's a framework or not in basically. place to support that. And oh, then, that sounds terrible. And then you spend like an hour to two hours. To you. Just that's chasing. Terrible to you. No, I, 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 to, to I, I, yeah. absolutely, I, I was actually going to make that point. Okay. So, yeah. uh, I mean, that sounds terrible. I would personally hate that. Yeah. While I do get that there are people out there who that's what they want and what they would expect, but I just personally could not deal with that. I mean, yeah. that's in my mind. And again, I don't want to offend anybody. It, it, it's almost like it's everybody gets a trophy style RPGing in our game, basically we all get a trophy because you know t- we we've worked ra- together to tell we, a story. Yeah, we've worked together to tell a story, and rarely do we wipe. Right. We have wiped. Yeah, so we're typically successful. But that sounds like there's no 
way, there's no challenge. There's no way to be anything but successful. Yep. I don't. Yeah, I just can't. I can't imagine that. I can't fathom that. Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind, though, that when we talk about collaborative storytelling, that there there are RPG players out there who do no real collaborative storytelling. The GM doesn't come in with a prepped story. The GM doesn't have a frame of mind of where this story is going to go. They literally just get together and the GM's like, all right, what do you guys want to do? And then the players just start pulling random ideas out of their hats. That almost sounds like that almost sounds like okay, you have a GM and say Dusty is in some way uh, communicating with me or or telling me about my room when I'm setting at my house. You know, on a Saturday afternoon, watching Netflix on my computer monitor while I'm working on a spreadsheet. And at the same time, he's talking to you while you're mowing the lawn. At the same time, while he's talking to Chris, who's watching his kid. Same time, while he's talking to Nathan, who's setting up some sort of server. And it's you're creating this world where it's just people doing whatever Whatever they want. want. It has nothing to do with each other. Yeah, I agree. That sounds, yeah. Yeah. But it... I don't even remember now what got me on that, but there was something Dusty had said that made me just think, you know, there are these groups of players that don't even like think. Like, what are the boundaries? Right, yeah. There, there are no boundaries. They they literally get together as a group of players with, with no boundaries. So now I'm going to surprise you guys. Yeah. That sounds like super fun to me. It's like Katamari Damacy and, the RPG. And, well, <laughs> I'll tell you why, though. The idea that I could look at you guys and say, hey, what do you want to do? And then that, that's up to us. And to then it's up the to story. you. And, I, and I'll tell you where I tried to do that. I tried to do that in in the Pathfinder game. When you guys were in Sandpoint, remember, we, we played that first adventure. And then I kicked it out to you guys. What do you want to do? Do you want to take over the town? Do you want to move on to a different town? Do you want to move into a big city? And, and you know, what what are your goals? What would you like to do? What are your character's goals? And I got crickets. Yeah. So probably not swinging totally the way of no prep and hey what do you want to do this session because i would appreciate the idea to pre-read some monsters or pre-prepare some monsters at least or maybe even some maps but some happy medium betwixt the two where you're really driving the plot and you're you're emailing me before the session to say you know what we'd like to assassinate the mayor that's the game we want you to run for us and we want to take over this town and give me like three weeks to be like, okay, or a week or, or a couple days to be like, okay, let, let me prep that. And I'm pulling stats for guards and I'm pulling maps of, of, you know, where the mayor lives and all that. That would be interesting to me. That'd be very interesting to me. I'd love to, Mike, you talked about enabling me to tell my story. I usually don't have a story. I, I have, I have antagonists and I know what's going to happen if you don't interfere. And those are when I prepare a story. And not minis and not maps, not whatever. When I prepare a story, that's all I prepare. Who are the bad guys? And if you don't interfere, what will they do on roughly what timeline? And that's it. That way, no matter what solution you take, I can think through how that impacts what the bad guys are trying to do and, and the world. So you guys coming to me with what you want to do would be really fun to me. And it would make me feel like I'm enabling you to tell the story that you want to tell. So, I mean, I, I totally get that. And yeah, I, I actually remember when you made that offer, that suggestion, Hey, what do you want to do? And it was basically crickets. 
And what I'm hearing Mike say about the Reddit conversation is not completely analogous because that almost sounds like just total wish fulfillment where the GM is uh, roll, rolling with the punches no matter what. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. GMs that say yes too yeah. much. Yeah, I've yeah. certainly seen those threads where, where GMs say yes to everything and everything works and, and hey, I want to kill 15 guards with one shot by... Okay, Chris. By, by putting a, a spin on my bullet as it leaves my gun. I want to build a peasant handrail or rail gun or yes. whatever it is. Yeah, the, yeah. Pe- the peasant yeah. rail gun. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, yeah, you're totally right. You nailed us with that. We could be more Better. forthcoming when it comes to what we want to do and rely a little bit less on what you want to do or what you think that would be fun for us to do. I would almost say it's not as forthcoming with what we want to do, but just being more creative of thinking of what we want to do. Cause I'll, I'll admit Dusty, you totally pegged me. I've, there've been times where you've asked us to be creative and put some forethought into the game. And I'm just like, I'm not creative. I just want to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. But, but I think what we're pointing out, hopefully for the audience at home is, is it's important to have these conversations with your players because it can lead to some really interesting discussions about what everyone gets out of this. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the next question question, what's your ideal combat to RP ratio? That's a hard question. All right. So I have, I have mixed emotions on that. If, if the combat doesn't turn into a slog combat, all day long but i feel like what happens more often is that combat turns into a slog almost every time so i find myself wanting to resolve combat through rp right so if if i can resolve a conflict through through characters through conversation through through problem solving I, I think i'm getting to the point where i prefer rp over combat primarily just because we still haven't really found a super quick, fast combat system. I, I like to think about this in terms of I combat, satisfying combat is a reward. It's almost like dessert. Um, you can have bad dessert, uh, but I in my mind, combat is... You can definitely have too much dessert. You can have too much yeah. dessert, too. Absolutely. Too much dessert is, ugh. But like a really fun... I, I, I'm thinking back to the game that we played years ago. I think it was in 4E. Uh, when uh, the villains, we had basically convinced the the uh, antagonist that we were talking to that, yeah, uh, we want to cooperate. Why don't you walk ahead of us and show us where we need to go in the cave? And we RP'd it, and the uh, villains were like, okay, sure, yeah, that 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 works. And then we stabbed them in and the back. basically stabbed them in the back. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun yeah. because we positioned it in a way to where it was advantageous to us. Uh, and that was it may not have been that fun for Dusty, uh, but it was pretty fun for us. Or there are times when combat is, again, just really satisfying because things just come together and it's not a slog, it's exhilarating. In my mind, if we're talking about a ratio, I would say uh, five parts RP and one part combat. So that's sort of, or I guess if we want to look at it, if we want to look at it like uh, 80%, 80% RP, 20% combat, combat, something like that. I'd agree with that. I think that feels pretty good. Yeah. Because I, I think where we get, I think where it 
for me where it detracts a little bit for me, right, was when it when it feels like it's just segmented combat encounters. So and I think back to just like the old fashioned dungeon crawls we did back in fourth edition, it would literally be like, Okay, you've entered this part in the room in the dungeon, here's the trigger in the dungeon, here's your combat in this room in the dungeon, clear room, move on to next room, puzzle, 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 combat, puzzle, combat, combat, combat. So I think I agree with Brian. I think eighty twenty is a good mix. Can you um, would would yourselves from five years ago have would have would they have believed how much you prefer the RP to the combat? No way. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so RP is something you have to grow into. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I thoroughly enjoy it. All right. Similar to to combat to RP ratio. What's your sandbox to railroad? ratio and we kind of discussed this earlier but i, I want to hear the number how much do you want to be given free reign and how much do you want to be given direction yeah i think i think this kind of goes back to my previous answer where where i'm given the opportunity to be creative in a preparatory way i'm not so good at being creative in a preparatory way i think i've said before that when we've been asked to do homework i don't do the homework um, so with all that being said, I'm probably not a very good player. Um, no, you're, you're a great player. I love having you in my game. Oh, thank you. It's all about learning how, I mean, this is all about fun, right? So yeah. homework, if it feels like work to you, then we should cut it from the game and figure out how to include what you want to do in a way that's reasonable. Yeah. But I guess a, a way to actually answer the question is I like having some freedom to do crazy zany stuff that, that maybe you weren't expecting that maybe no one else at the table is expecting, but I also like the, the security and the feeling that, that there is a storyline that, that you have an idea for what this world looks like, you know, depending on what we do or don't do. So, and Mike, I, I want to, Brian, you haven't answered yet, but I want to dig in a little bit more with Mike. Mike, talk about Bioware versus Bethesda. Mm. And, and and I know I know in your video gaming you prefer Bethesda. Yes. But what about at the table? That's a good question. I think if I were I think if I were young Mike, right? If we were all young Brian, young Dusty, and we had copious amounts of single young adult male time, I would prefer Bethesda. But now that we're older and time is limited and it's hard to get people together and, and those resources are precious. I think I prefer Bioware. I think I like it a little more concise, a little more compact. We're being we're being productive with our together time while we're still, you know, p- putting some time into to you know the social obligations into just catching up and hanging out. So I I feel that just because of a resource time limit that that I prefer the Bioware. So and 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 by the way, for those at home, Bethesda is like Skyrim or Morrowind, where it's extremely sandbox. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. You can totally ignore the main plot line. And then Bioware is, you can go to, to any location. Actually, no, locations typically open up in a certain order. Yep. And there are certain things you need to do in a certain order. And it's much more much more of a rail with, with some freedom allowed for commerce and, and definitely with some freedom allowed as far as like a branching storyline of, of different alignments and all that. So you can tell a lot of stories in either. But so, Mike, what you're saying is you want to get to the end of a session and feel like you've advanced the plot. Yes. Whereas in a Bethesda game... You can get to the end of a four-hour play session, and all you've done is increased your standing with the Thieves Guild, which may or may not have anything to do with plot. It's like, hey, congratulations, here's the sword. Back to the plot. Or, hey, congratulations, you're now a master herbalist. Yeah, exactly. 
That's, After hours of play. I I don't feel like in in an RPG setting where where we're taking everyone's time to put that in, I, I don't feel that, that sense of accomplishment for just, you know, having my character do something that, that's ultimately insignificant to my character, the plot, or anyone else's character. All right, so we explored that thoroughly with Mike. Brian, I assume you've been so I'm trying to unravel. I'm trying to unravel that Bethesda versus Bioware thing, because personally, when it comes to video games, I prefer the Bethesda method. Oh, absolutely. Uh, rather than Bioware, but when it comes to the actual RPing, I prefer Bioware to Bethesda because I want to have some sort of, you know, uh, substantial or substantive, uh, you know, change or something by the end. But the thing, like with video games, though, video games for the most part are, you know, programmatically defined. You have a very specific set of things that you have to do to get from point A to point B, where in a RPG setting like we're doing here, it's creative and you can you can still be freeform and there are guardrails that you follow. And at the end, you really can still come across and have some sort of, um, you know, change or accomplishment at the end without having to be railroaded or guided down a rail. Um, but man, it's, it's so hard. Cause I kinda, I kinda in the, in the RPing when we're given too much freedom, I've kind of found myself, um, uh, like sinking. I'm thinking back to the game that we had played, uh, when we were trying to escape the jail in the pathfinder, I think it was pathfinder. No, it was 5e. 5e. 5e yeah. The 5e campaign. And we spent 45 minutes just sitting there trying to figure out how to get out. Yeah. And because there wasn't one path, it was just basically what makes sense. Could we rationalize it? And did the dice cooperate? And man, I, while I enjoyed that, I enjoyed the freedom and I enjoyed the um, sense of accomplishment once we finally got out. I mean, I panicked a little bit in that. You feel like you're drowning in options. I feel like I'm drowning in options. It's analysis paralysis. So you want to feel like you're you're pursuing a line that I have laid in the sand. Yeah. But you want to feel like you can pursue it on your own terms. To an, yeah. Totally in your own terms. Not totally. To an extent. Like well, just totally in the sense of well, Dusty, we're gonna burn the fort down. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, there's there's a resolution at the end that you have in mind or there's an end goal. How we get there is up to us. Yeah. Where, you know, I can't burn down the fort in Skyrim. You know, I have to go and I'm, I have to go and find the specific uh, treasure chest that has something in it. Then I have to kill the ghoulish guy and uh, then go back to the Jarl or whoever and tell them that I did it. Where Jarl, yeah. excellent word. <laughs> yes, yeah. Where in in this, um, you know, maybe the person that I'm, uh, the NPC that I'm playing with dies, and Dusty's original idea was, well, at the end they're going to reward you with something, but you know they die, so he he impromptu just comes up with, oh well, you take the you take their sword back to the the person's home, and they give the the widow gives you the sword. Uh, because he has the ability to come up with that. Um, I, lo I love Bethesda games, I'll be honest with you, but uh, I I do want some of that. I do want the guardrails, but I want the freedom to accomplish the goal on my own terms. I think the 
other problem with with approaching an RPG as that Bethesda model, right, is everyone then wants to become the, the divine hero. They all want to be the dragonborn. And there's nothing wrong with that in theory. But then what you get into are these scenarios where each person is taking like 40 minutes of the DM's time on their turn to explore their own personal path, their own personal quest line, you know, whatever this this broad ranging thing has. And it kind of goes back to talking to other people and, and reading about their play experiences. There was a fellow I was talking to on Reddit one night who was saying that. Yeah, sometimes they will go over to their friend's house, friend's house once a week, and he may spend all that night sitting on his friend's couch watching TV because the rest of that night is spent on someone else's turn. And that, to me, just boggles my mind. And my, like, I don't play my characters as Mary Sue's at all. Like, I don't have any pretensions, or uh, I, I don't assume that my character is special or anything whatsoever. Right. I just want to have fun and make, sometimes crass jokes along the way yeah. Uh, where I don't feel like the GM or the table has to put any specific focus on me. I, I know that some people do, but I feel that our table does a pretty good job of focusing on the collaboration more so than trying to focus on any one particular player. And that's how it makes us more like a Bioware game. We, we focus on the party more than the individual. And I think that's a big distinguishing factor of, of how those play styles play out. All right, different question. So, tactical combat on the grid or in theater of the mind? Oh, man. I'm I, hands down theater of the mind. I, really? I, I prefer it straight out. Yeah. I Mike, you, you're my gamester. I know. I, I used to be all about maps, and I bought the freaking blue dungeon tiles. I bought the grid gaming paper. No, I, I'm all about theater of the mind. When it comes, really? to, when it comes yeah. to combat, I prefer combat on a grid. Really? Really? Because I can, I can, I can, I have line of sight. I have everything. I, I like the freedom of theater of the mind, but I feel that I'm more connected to it if I have a mini on a table and I can see what I'm challenging. RPing, absolutely. You know, I don't need to have a mini to talk to an NPC or talk to you. I mean, that actually kind of feels artificial. Uh, but when it comes to actual tactical combat, I like knowing, oh yeah, well I'm out of range. I like being able to see that I'm out of range. I like knowing how many squares there are between me and the, the villain. So going back to the Pathfinder game that we played with the, um, elementals. So we actually, that was on a, we had the grid. The, the entire Pathfinder campaign yeah, the entire was, on, was on a grid. grid. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm thinking back specifically to that because we, there was, um, a, a battle that took place like in. Oh, was it a fort uh, with the elementals in the game before? It was a temple, yeah. The temple. Uh, we maneuvered all around that and positioned our people, and it was more concrete than it would have been if we had tried to do the same thing, theater of the mind. See, that's funny for it's more me, strategic. Cause, so it's funny you should mention that, because I think it's that 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 tactile uh that, that tactical sorry not tactile i think it's that that tactile i did it again uh that tactical approach to combat that starts to slow it down that starts to really make it a well, slog it, so it is tactile though in the sense that you're actually well, touching a physical mini <laughs> touching a physical mini too but but in my mind that that grid system that battle map that i'm going to count out the number of squares to determine whether i can actually Man, attack I love this that. guy or not i love that it slows it down so much especially when you do the i have five spaces 
spaces. Can I move that way? Nope. I have five spaces. Can I move that way? No. Okay. But well, that's what how if I hop over this log? No. That that's why I prefer theater of the mind. But it's a simulation of reality. But it's not. It's moving a character on a grid. It's not a simulation of reality at all. You don't say in real life, I'm going to go punch that guy in the no, face. No, I just do it. But I Can know that I, I move. But I, I know that I have enough room to to do it or not do it. So that's that's why I like theater of the mind. I asked the DM, okay, I want to hit this guy with my sword. I'm going to run up to him and hit him with my sword. And I let the DM make that adjustment for me because in the DM's mind, he has that feeling of space and he's going to say, okay, but that's going to take two moves or okay, but it's going to have to be a run and you'll take a disadvantage. I, I like having the, the DM free us from me making a million freaking choices based on a map where I'm doing and undoing the same thing a million times, trying to basically game a tactical system. I, I just like having minis. I just feel comfortable in that. I'm shocked by your answers, but I shouldn't be. Because whenever we talk about it, Brian, you're always the one that wants to pick 4th edition back up. Yeah, yeah. And 4th edition requires a grid. I mean, yeah, everything's yeah. laid out in squares. Yeah. I hate 4th edition. Uh, <laughs> you do? Do you really? <laughs> I mean, I, no, I don't I don't hate it. I, I don't like combat in 4th edition. I don't like the combat mechanics. I don't like... I don't like the resistances. I don't like how every single thing has an every single check. It's just too slow. Just let me make a choice. Let the DM adjudicate the choice and let's move on. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> this episode um, is mind blowing. You know, and, and, and I hope, uh, God, if you're listening from home again, I hope that you're not hearing our answers and thinking that this is how we're saying to play. Because that is not what we are saying. We are not saying that any of our answers are, quote, the right way to play. But I hope what you're hearing is, for the love of God, have this conversation with your players because Mike, Brian, clearly this conversation at least is long overdue. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I'm, the thing is, I am absolutely fine playing theater of the mind. I'm fine playing both ways, actually. Yeah. I, I, I actually honestly go back and forth. Like, I, I did the Pathfinder campaign on the grid. And now I'm doing the entire Savage Worlds East Texas University game, Theater of the Mind. Yep. I, I completely, I get tired of one and I want the other, and then I get tired of the other and I want to go, go back. back. I can see that. So I go back and forth. I now, definitely go back and forth. Now, I will say, of the grid systems we've played so far, I felt like Pathfinder has been the less, the less monotonous, right? It, it feels a little more free-flowing. Yeah, we're counting out squares. We're doing a few things. Eh, eh. And to be fair, maybe it's just us as a group. Maybe maybe we've, we've gotten, gotten better, a little more efficient, right? So th there may be some of that too. But I I'll say this: you didn't ask the question, but I prefer square grids to hex grids. Have we ever played on a hex? We've I think we did. Oh one. yeah yeah, Hero uh, we did. Oh, and I played game. I played D and D once with you yeah. guys on on the Hero Escape terrain. Yeah. yeah, using hexes. Why do you prefer square to hex? Um, I I, I while I understand that hexes uh are more realistic in this in a sense um, i mean they're all abstractions they're all abstractions but that is a less that's less abstracted than you don't have to worry about diagonals yeah yeah i i i don't know i just like doing it on a square i just i i i, I it feels more natural in the sense that i'm more comfortable with it it's like if i had never driven a manual uh, an automatic before and only a manual i would prefer a manual but i've driven an automatic most of my life i can drive a stick but it's not my first choice hmm. that's okay that's interesting i kind of wanted to really try a whole campaign around hexes i would do it well all right um 
All right, let's let's finish on, on let's finish strong with a couple of questions here at the end. So, scenario: you're at the table and you realize that you're bored. What do you do? Hmm. Pull out my phone and start. Looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, the corollary question is: what don't you do? <laughs> hmm. So, can I? I'll ask some leading questions if you want. Well, let me let me say this. Sure. So one interview technique that I've recently been coached on was basically the standard way that people interview when you try to f- structure a question is or structure an answer is situation, action, result. So like this is the situation, this is what I did, and this is the result. So the recommendation to me was do situation, then action, result, what you did, but then come back with how you really should have done it. So I'd like to say that, you know, if I was bored, realistically, I would be looking at my tablet or my phone. What I should do is try to either just have a conversation with, hey, you know, this is not necessarily going the way that I thought. Is there something we can do just real quick to maybe come back together and get everybody reengaged in the game? Um, you know, is there something we can do just to to uh think outside the box uh i would i should try to actively improve the experience for everybody by just coming back together but realistically i would just be looking at my phone i love what brian said and i agree with that and now i'm going to tell on myself of what i did do in in the most recent scenario i can think of where i did get bored at the game so at, at at con at the gummy bears game where I know we've talked about this before, where we split the party and, you know, we were basically, you know, off at some professor's lab trying to get some useless information. And the other two players were engaged in a fun, rousing combat where they were destroying an apartment complex without us there. Um, I disengaged. You I sure know did. It's, it's what I shouldn't have done, but it's absolutely what I did. Um, so what I should have done, I guess, was, was, you know, got the attention of the DM and said, hey, I would like to be a part of this combat or, oh, hey, I jumped on your magical flying machine and we showed Didn't up we do at that, this though? combat. Didn't we, we tried. We tried. And he wouldn't let us. So, so I disengaged. I, I, I don't think you're wrong to do that because it took an hour. Yeah, it took an hour before we were brought back into the party. So so I'll be honest. Yeah, I, I disengaged. I probably got a little snappy and that guy probably thought I, don't I was, think so. I don't I was think an so. asshole and a prima donna, but I, I, completely, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I I thought I thought so. I I could tell. I Remember was, at the end, the guy gave the other guy gave us his contact information. He said friend uh, him on Facebook, which we true. didn't do because which we saw his Facebook yeah. page. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, guy, if you're randomly somehow listening, you're not. You're not. But but I really enjoyed playing with you at the table. I just don't need to be with you. Great. on Facebook. But yeah, no, I, I absolutely disengaged, and it was the wrong thing to do. But I I think that's what happens. Well, I think it's an honest answer. Have you ever been bored at my table and like found a way to re-engage? Like, am I am I open enough to allow that, or is it just easier to disengage? Because that's that's information worth knowing for GMs out there. I think you do two things really, really well. I think you you make sure to come back to players if they don't know what they want to do or they don't know how to do it. I think you do a really good job of saying, okay, let's figure that out in a minute. Let's go through all the rest of this, and then we'll come back to that and figure it out. I think you're really good about that, and I think that helps keep players engaged. I think you're also really good about making sure that everyone has input on how the storyline is going. You you ask people, what do you want to do? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I have been, but the thing is, it's the positive experiences far and away outnumber any times I've been bored and nothing immediately comes to mind. I mean, but I'm human. I'm, sh- I'm sure there has been times. Oh, sure, yeah. But nothing specifically comes to mind. But I, I do know there's been times when, again, going back to the 5e game where, where we were stuck in the uh, uh, cell made from stalactites and stalagmites, uh, I think there were times when we became desperate in there, but I, we pulled ourselves back together and just tried to think through the problem. We do that all the time. When just something isn't coming together, we pause and we try to think realistically what would be the proper course of action. And sometimes we also flounder too. I mean, that happens. So is that being bored or is that being frustrated? I, I mean, I, frustration leads to boredom for me. Okay. So, so, yeah, when I see you guys get frustrated, I try to throw you lifelines. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I don't throw you a lifeline. First of all, I say, I more or less say, do you want a lifeline? Yeah. And yeah. and the way I ask that usually is, is you know, well, do you want a suggestion or, or do you want to know how I was thinking about this? And I'll offer that up if you want it. Yeah. But that, that happens less and less, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've become better players. It's it's like life, though. Am I becoming a better person as I get older? Sometimes I'm a better person. Sometimes I'm not. Uh, but I think right now we're in a period when, as players, we're more engaged and um, just more interested in what gaming can do for us, where sometimes in the past it, we just got together because we like hanging out together. Well, and and by the way, in that scenario where you try something and you fail and you before you get frustrated... If you fail once, I've tried really hard to stop doing the thing where I say, that didn't work. Would you like to try something else? Yeah. And now I say, that didn't work. And here are the consequences because you just made the situation worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that the problem is constantly changing. And and, and they, they call that failing forward. And I've I've taken a lot of advice that I've read to heart. And one of those things is failing forward. Like if you fail... It's not without consequences anymore. Failing has consequences. They're usually soft consequences. Like you try to talk the scar out of it. Um, nope. And not only not only do you not convince him, he's actually going to casually ring a bell and call for some backup. Yeah. Yeah. I, All right. I, I think doing that helps helps move the game along. And I think just doing that alone helps people keep engaged. So now let me ask my James Lipton questions real quick. All right. At the table, what turns you on? I plead the fifth. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm asking it in the mature James Lipton way. What oh. What gets you excited? <laughs> what turns you on? What gets you happy? What makes you smile? Hmm. I think being faced with a challenge that seems insurmountable, but we break the problem down and figure our way through it and are successful despite of ourselves. You know, that's a really great answer. I, um, I'm kind of ashamed I didn't put that out there first. That that was a really good answer. And I'm basically thinking in terms of like project management. You have a problem, you break it into smaller problems, and then you approach it one by one, and you succeed. Yeah, yeah. I I would say the other thing that he may have already also said this, and part of the succeeding despite yourself is is those times where we do something crazy and we we get lucky, and something that absolutely shouldn't have worked absolutely works. And then we all kind of, we sit back and we revel 
in and it does how clever we are and, it, and it, it's not that it, it's not that it works because you let it work necessarily it's that it works because random chance happened yes. to have us be in a position where it's it's succeeds overwhelmingly just because of like a crit or something like that. So you give us a really high DC, and we we more than beat it. Yeah. Um. Again, thinking back to a game that we played in 4E, when we ended up having a whole dungeon basically fight itself. Yeah. Uh. And we got basically out of uh an impossible situation. Yeah, that was clever though. Yeah. I, I I when when you guys are clever, I like rewarding that. If you come up with a good reason to turn two factions against each other. I don't think it's right to say, no, that doesn't work. Well, why not, GM? Because it's not the way the adventure's written. You know, what? What? That's lame. Yeah. So when you say it's crazy, Mike, but in my head, I only let you even roll if I think it's outside chance but reasonable. Like, yeah, that could happen, and that, and that makes sense, and you come up with a really clever way to phrase it. Yeah. That's when I allow the roll. All right. What turns you off? I hate to harp on the slow combat thing, but slow combat really, really turns me off, disengages me. Okay. Yeah, slow combat that isn't exciting. So if it's slow combat and there is risk of failure and wiping and it takes us a while to get through it, that can be fun. But if it's slow combat and we are obviously going to prevail... It just takes forever. <laughs> right. So to clarify that, like if it's if it's us versus like three wolves, and this would happen in 4E all the time, we would just face up against some know-nothing throwaway monsters that have just been put in there because we need a combat encounter in this adventure. If that combat scenario for us against three nothing, that, that would be a pre-made that would be a pre-made, be a pre-made event thing, because right? dusty does a great job of not just throwing in combat for combat's sake he does yeah, he does not, an absolutely i good used job. to yeah but not anymore but you know when 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 an encounter like that would take like 40 minutes it's just like really am i a hero or am i just some dude you know it's what what's the point of the story and i, I like dust i like the way dusty described it like even at level one you're a pretty awesome dude yeah at level 10 you're you're an amazing dude you know by like level 20 you're a god but even at level one you're a hero yeah Yeah. because none of us are level one people yep yeah we are nm yeah all right final question james's question you finish the session you're about to leave what does the gm say to you what do do your homework (laughs) yes (laughs) no so so lipman's question is you arrive at the pearly gates what does St. Peter say to you? Like, like, like for you, what do you want to hear that validates or sums up your experience? What does the GM say to you when you leave in your ideal scenario? I've got another joke answer. Man, I thought that combat would be a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the GM actually says to you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know what I'm going to say. That was fun. Yeah, honestly, I agree with it. That was fun. That was a great time. Awesome. All right, thank you guys for letting me interview you. And for those GMs out there, you should have this conversation with your players. There's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. But knowing their minds and knowing what they they think, which, by the way, could change. Mike could decide tomorrow that he's back on the grid, and it's up to Mike to tell me that. But uh, ask your players what they want, what they like, what they want to experience. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned. 
and we're sharing ours with you.